0: Getting in the Loop, Episode 8, How to Move from Take, Make, Waste to Circular Business Models and Supply Chains, with Catherine Wheatman. Hi, I'm Katie Wellen, and join me each week as I talk with experts around the globe about circular economy. You'll find out what's being done to make it a reality, and if it can really solve the problems it promises. It's time for Getting in the Loop. Welcome back to the Getting in the Loop podcast. Today is Earth Day, and to celebrate, we have a special giveaway. Our guest today is Catherine Wheatman, and one of the topics on today's episode is her book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains. Catherine has graciously given me a copy to give away to one lucky listener. So keep listening until the end of the episode, or head over to gettinginthelooppodcast.com to find out how to win. And don't worry, if you think it's kind of counterintuitive to have a giveaway on Earth Day, you can choose to have the electronic version of her book. Okay, so now on to today's podcast. Today on the show, we're speaking with Catherine Wheatman, who is the director of Rethink Solutions, a circular economy-focused business consultancy based in the UK. Catherine has over 25 years experience in contract logistics, manufacturing, retail, and supply chain consultancy. And she has worked with many firms, including Tesco, Catalogs, and DHL Supply Chain. In this episode, Catherine and I talk about her book, Circular Economy, a handbook for business and supply chains, and what she has learned from working with SMEs to implement circular economy. We also address the power of the crowd and hear about her upcoming plans to provide additional resources through her consultancy. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I'm really excited to talk to you today, Catherine.
1: It's great. I'm really pleased to be here, Katie.
0: Thank you. And I know you're doing a lot in terms of circular economy and you have your own consulting firm, Rethink Solutions. Uh, and could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing regarding implementing circular economy within companies? Sure.
1: Sure i'm trying to help mainly small and medium businesses and startups entrepreneurs because i feel a lot of the um, consultancies and think tanks and so on are aiming at big global businesses and in doing the research for my book most of the examples i found were from startups and small businesses so that's what i'm trying to do is, is spread the word I think they are, they're more agile um, and more open to um, looking at new opportunities. Anyway, so what I'm trying to do is help them understand what the circular economy is all about. That it goes a lot further than resource efficiency and a bit more recycling, and inspire them with lots of lots of examples um, to help spark ideas for their business, and then give them a toolkit to help them get started. So. So we do workshops, uh, we do coaching and mentoring, um, do research into specific sectors um, to give people a few more ideas, um, you know, point people towards other useful resources, all that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow! So you have been doing like these these workshops. Can you tell me a little bit more about how these workshops usually? run are they multiple people from different companies or is it going to just you know one company and doing a workshop with them
1: we can do either most of the ones though are mixed groups so either sector specific or a kind of local um, business organization in the UK that might be chambers of commerce or federation of small businesses something like that where lots of small businesses are um, interested in something so normally it's a um, couple of hours, more if we, more if we can uh, manage it, giving people a quick overview of the circular economy and then using the framework uh, from, that I developed for my book, which um, now I'm starting to call it the building blocks of the circular economy. So thinking about the inputs or the materials that you're going to use thinking about how to design the product to make it more durable or shareable, to be repairable uh, and easy to recover the materials. Thinking about process design, how can you recover all the inputs and have this waste is food approach? And then how could you recover your own products, components and materials at the end of the cycle? And around all of that sits the business model. Right. So we kind of go through each of those building blocks and give them some examples that um, are either relevant to their sector or a kind of from a range of sectors so the idea is to you know give a wide range of quick examples so that people start to see just how much is going on so we so we do that um, sometimes we might do a product teardown as well on a uh, an existing product getting them to think in much more detail about what's gone into that product and then they start to redesign. So here they're either redesigning the product that we've given them or redesigning something fairly straightforward. We try and encourage people not to do a smartphone or a laptop, much as everybody wants to redesign them to be better. <laughs> um, but it starts to get uh, you know, too technical quite quickly. So they redesign um, and then we, we um, help them think about what they might do within their own business um, as, a, as a kind of takeaway and, and um, uh, starter for action.
0: And I'm I'm curious because you've you've been you know working in in supply chains and logistics for over 25 years now, and you've been in this area of sustainability and circular economy. Have you noticed, especially maybe in the last couple of years, a difference or a change in the uptake of circular economy or interest in 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 really diving into this, this topic?
1: Definitely. Certainly amongst bigger businesses, it's starting to become um you know a a generally used term though i still worry that a lot of people see it as just resource resource efficiency or a bit more recycling or they take um a kind of a a view that you have to completely close the loop which can seem overwhelming and you know too difficult to do so people um sort of think well it's a great idea but it all seems too difficult so i'll i'll you know park it for now Um, but in with SMEs, um, I still think it's not so well known, um, and certainly in people that I meet in everyday conversation, it's it's a term that people haven't heard of. As soon as you explain it, um, you know people get it and think it's a great idea. So that's the challenge I think is to um, get it out there. I have noticed on um, the BBC and other um, kind of mainstream media that people are starting to use the term now circular economy to describe. Um, you know, recovery of products and so on, um, as opposed to just saying more sustainable or less waste or whatever. So it is starting to um, become a um, a recognized term.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. But I I also uh, liked what you mentioned in terms of the fact that uh, sometimes if they're thinking, oh, it's only just recycling or, or, you know, closing closing the loop. And yeah, if you have that mentality then especially about uh, you have to close the entire loop then it can be overwhelming about where where to where to start yeah
1: and and that's why i like to use and i i thought long and hard uh, for my book about what kind of framework i was going to use you know i didn't want to use somebody else's framework because that would feel like um, plagiarizing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it kind of dawned on me that with all the experience i've had in retail and manufacturing and so on mm-hmm. That if you just start somewhere, it's easier to get going. And that actually, if you break the circular economy down into those five building blocks, you can start with any one of those. And that might be the only thing you ever do. You know, you're Mm -hmm. just going a little bit more circular. Hopefully, people will get inspired by the benefits of the first thing that they do and move on to the next thing and the next thing, and eventually end up closing the loop. But you can start with any of those five things and use that to help engage other people in the business who might might be more skeptical. Um, So it's a, it's a lower risk approach, which I think works really well with um, particularly existing businesses who don't want to take too many big risks, um, especially all all at once.
0: Exactly. So we've, we've, we've sort of been, we've been talking about the book, but maybe, maybe let's, let's dive into sort of what is the book uh, and, and, why why did you write it? So I, I had a chance to to read it and I think it's really, really a nice piece of work and the organization is very clear and it, it is a practical handbook for people who want to, you know, see how they could actually apply different circular business models and different uh, like what would how does this change the supply chain? But just to 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 tell the listeners who may not have had a chance yet to to read the book, tell us. Why, why you wrote it, and what, what, it's a, what it's about.
1: Okay, so back in 2015, I think it was, um, I was already focusing most of my work on the circular economy, so I think I started out with um, looking at anything that would help um, move sustainability forward, mm-hmm. but quite quickly realized that the circular economy was probably the biggest lever, and it was the one that had most advantages for business um so um so that's why i started to focus on it and i had a uh, a phone call out of the blue um from a, a uk publisher kogan page who said somebody had suggested uh, somebody i knew had suggested i could i'd be a good person to write a book on waste in the supply chain <laughs> and so this was kind of well i'd never thought of writing a book before um, and uh, I was sort of thinking about it, thinking, well, I probably could write a book about waste in the supply chain and how you could eliminate it, but it doesn't sound very exciting. And you know, how many people are going to buy a book um, on that? Um, but broadening it out to think about the circular economy and the waste is food concept and, you know, removing waste, um, that's that started to feel more appealing. Um, and so I proposed that to the publisher they'd not really heard of the circular economy back then. So I kind of explained a bit about it and they thought it was a really good idea. Um, And so then there was the fear factor of, you know, wow, this feels like a big, a big, big project. You know, am I, am I up to this? Um, But um, it sort of felt like one of those, well, if you, you know, if you don't try, you'll never know. Um, So I'd already read a few, a few of the books from the Ellen MacArthur foundation and Cradle to Cradle and books like that. And I felt that a lot of them were focusing on the, co- the concepts and the big principles, and also focusing on the benefits for regions and, and kind of uh, you know, sec- the whole of a sector, and focusing less on what it would mean for an individual business, and specifically how to get started. And once I'd begun to think about um, you know, the supply chain, And what happens at each stage of the supply chain and of course product design is a um, you know a major influence on what materials you need how you're going to make it all the rest of it so it then became this kind of design and supply chain um, which was the start of what what i'm now calling the building blocks but it was kind of breaking it down into the various stages of the business um, and thinking about what you would do differently at each of those stages So I was trying to do it really from the bottom up instead of top down. Um, I wanted to give people lots and lots of examples. So to to both try and spark ideas and also to demonstrate just how much was already happening. Um, So... um, So I was keen to kind of, you know, not include long case studies, but just quick snapshots to to kind of um, show just what a massive range of sectors and geographies and um, different innovations were already happening. Um, And I realised as I was starting to write the book that it was going to have to be about the circular economy from a business perspective. You can't start with the supply chain if you don't give people the context. So by the time I'd written it, you know, the, the business context became um, about half the book, well, over half the book um, to give you know, the background and, and how it impacted on uh, the business model, um, the, making the business case and so on. Um, and then about a third of the book was about the supply chain what happened at each stage of the supply chain and what the circular economy what difference it would make to the rest of your supply chain and how how you'd need to do things differently and then the last section on how to get started.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's a very clever organization and also I really liked how you sort of separated the supply chain into like the upstream midstream and and downstream so it's sort of allowing companies and industry uh, people to sort of identify themselves where, where they are. So again, Mm. not looking at the entire, how are we going to close this entire loop? But you know, what can I do considering sort of the constraints and the operating space that I'm in right now?
1: Yeah. And also thinking about, for me, thinking about how supply chains within business are organized from a functional perspective. You may have a, you may in a big company have Um, somebody at board level as you know um, chief supply chain officer but underneath that you'll have a procurement team you might have a manufacturing team and then you'd have a a distribution team and they would be completely separate teams so I was trying to segment it so that the um, you know each team could get straight into the meat of what it meant to them um, rather than just putting everything together and people having to dig around to find out you know what it what it means for them. And I think as I've as I've um, done some work afterwards, um, did a little bit of work with the United Nations operations team, (UNOPS), um, and realizing that procurement could be a massive lever within a company um, for circular economy, even if you didn't change anything about the products that you make or the services that you sell, even if you just started by procuring things in a more circular way that would help to get you into circular thinking and also start to um, crystallize benefits as well as spreading the word with with all your uh, suppliers Um, so I think that you know for a place to get started procurement is a is a really big lever
0: yeah yeah definitely definitely Uh, We see, I've seen a lot of action, especially from the past work that I was doing in the Dutch, uh, well, in the Dutch government and in the Netherlands. And there was so much discussion about procurement, procurement and and having a focus there. And also now in Sweden, where I I am, uh, again, have this, this, uh, talking about the importance of procurement and also public procurement, being able to influence uh, what's Mm. happening as well. Yeah. 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 So um, I was also thinking about your book and when I was looking at it, you address different types of circular business models and then you go in depth uh, in different sectors such as food, industrial, manufacturing and fashion. Now that you've been doing, uh, you know, now that you've written the book and have been actively working in this in these different sectors, is there a particular sector that you find promising? In implementation of circular economy?
1: I guess they're all promising. I think food is probably the the most difficult, um, you know, because you're not going to get anything back to um, make into human food again at at the end, Um, you know, there's a bit of downcycling. Um, But it still has lots of potential in terms of using the circular economy and different and similar approaches to reduce waste um consumer tech i think of of all and and industrial those are the easiest sectors to change i think because it's you know longer lasting products and i think there is already starting to be a little little bit of a movement towards wanting things that are repairable and more durable um and we know that you know in in the past washing machines tvs all that kind of stuff you know lasted for decades um and now you know we think we've done well if it lasts for 5 years um so that doesn't really seem much of a progression does it um but there are there are campaigns for kind of uh you know right to repair um so that would avoid the the case of the um quite expensive washing machine that i bought and about 4 years later it needed a new bearing and i was you know having um uh done all my um mountain bike mechanic um stuff myself in the past. I know that bearings cost cost nothing and are easy to fit. Um but uh I wasn't able to buy a bearing. I had to buy the entire drum unit. Oh my so
0: goodness that,
1: that seemed to be the manufacturer getting round its obligations under the EU rules that they have to provide parts for 10 years after the model ceases to exist. But if they make the part, you know, so expensive that it's pointless buying it, then they kind of you know persuade you to buy the new one instead. Um, but I think what manufacturers are missing is that you're unlikely to be persuaded to buy a new replacement item of the same brand. You know, I I was more yeah. that I was never going to buy that brand again, and I think that's a missing hidden cost of this planned obsolescence model. And I think manufacturers have lost sight of that. Um, and instead of t- spending, you know, millions on marketing to persuade more people to buy um, their product, instead of making a product that people think is great and will be loyal to in the future, and tell all their friends to buy this brand of washing machine because you know you can get the parts and you get a bearing and it only costs ten pounds and your local repairman can swap it in fifteen minutes.
0: Yeah exactly so in this way do you think circular economy is sort of challenging like the, the status quo of how or or is it maybe just like going back to how we used to used to do do things like how do you see that happening
1: i think it's a bit of both and i think it's you know it's it, we did used to do things this that way because we things were more more, more expensive and we all had a mentality of, of, you know, things being repairable. And I think it's just that we've been, you know, if you, you can take either view. You can either say that consumers demand or you can say that, you know, brands encourage us, manipulators us even into thinking that we need the latest new bit of kit. And, um, you know, that's a washing machine with um, electronic gizmos. <laughs> um, <laughs> It is going to be much better than the one that you've got so we seem to have been persuaded that you know it's normal to replace things and i think people are starting to realize that that's that's not necessarily good what would be really helpful is if um, the consumer um, advice organizations in the uk we have one called which so they do tests so they'll tell you how well something performs how energy efficient it is you know how good it is at actually cleaning your clothes in the case of the washing machine and so on but what they don't do is give you any information on how long you can expect that model to last or what the full life costs are so if it's going to last on average five years and you pay whatever for it um, and it's this much energy then what does it actually cost you and those things wouldn't be so difficult to do um, and to maintain databases over time, and that would give consumers really powerful information and open people 's eyes um, as to whether you 're actually getting good value for money when you buy something
0: mm-hmm. that 's a that 's a really interesting idea to to provide additional information to the consumer for them to to make more informed decisions so if i 'm hearing mm-hmm. you correctly, then you think that that policy has an important role to mm. to play in in shaping that these that these sort of shifts in terms of how we think and how we buy and what how we purchase things that it's policy that plays an important role as well
1: definitely though i think policy has to be led and kickstarted, if you like by us as citizens you know if we think of ourselves as citizens as well as consumers by giving government permission and encouraging government by um you know making a noise um and even encouraging the businesses by maybe um you know using social media to say um brand x i really like your whatever product um I wish you'd, you know, use more sustainable materials or I wish you'd make it repairable or whatever. And making that public, those kind of campaigns seem to be increasingly effective, particularly around plastics where there have been campaigns, you know, for one company like the Walker's Crisps one, I think we talked about last time we chatted. Um, And that can really mobilise things and start to persuade both companies and governments that consumers are really open to this and you know and and want some tools to help us make more informed decisions um and i think that's that's what's going to create the the tipping point because then it's hard for manufacturers to lobby government and push back that you know this isn't really necessary you know we're 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 getting there on our own you don't need to legislate um if consumers are really um you know protesting about lack of repairability or lack of durability or um you know whatever the problem is
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe for our, our listeners, could you briefly ex- explain the Walkers crisp example? Because sure. yeah, we talked about it earlier, but uh, I think it's a fascinating story. So,
1: yeah, I I, I was um uh, really interested in it, and there had been a few campaigns in the UK um trying to encourage manufacturers to. Use more sustainable plastic, so make sure they're recyclable and so on. And Walkers crisps, which is owned by PepsiCo, had a laminate crisp packet, um, so it wasn't recyclable at all. And somebody started a campaign on one of the online apps, and I think quite quickly that you know 100,000 people had signed up, and the, um, asking Walkers to commit to a more sustainable recyclable crisp packet. So. After a while, Walkers came back and said, "Oh yes, you know, we'll do this, but by 2025." And the um, people who'd signed didn't think that was good enough, so the campaign kept going, and um, Walkers weren't giving in. And then somebody found um, that there was a free post address for Walkers customer service, and somebody, um, you know, put put the information on social media with a suggestion that people could just send their empty crisp packets back to Walkers in the in the free post system. So this then made national news and the front pages of a few newspapers. And, um, uh, you know, there was a bit of backpedalling from walkers. And, and within a, a week or two, they'd organised a recycling system with TerraCycle. Um, so now you're able to send your crisp packets back and TerraCycle will convert them into park ventures or whatever. But I just kept thinking that if walkers had reacted sooner they'd have had a lot more negotiating power and options open to them and and not look so bad in the national media um, yeah. but I think you know it's great because it was it, it was public enough to get lots of other companies thinking about whether their packagings easily recyclable mm-hmm. um, and even if it you know even if something is recyclable you have to think about where it's going to be consumed and, and where the waste is going to be created so you know, if your only recycling route is um say through the um specialist waste department of your local council and this is something that you're going to eat at work or in the you know in the park or something like that and your nearest bin is just a mixed waste bin that's where it's going to end up isn't it you know and very few people are going to take it all the way home to and then save it up to, for, till the next time they go to their recycling site so so it's critical to think about where's this going to be used and how can I make it easy to get into the right disposal route
0: exactly yeah I so I'm um, um, I think you've brought up really really two opposing yet complementary perspectives for the first is like the power of the crowd and also the power of sort of a top-down approach in terms of you know telling telling industry and what we what we what we'd like is from a from a from a consumer point of view and also from a legislative point of view but also the power of companies to actually implement solutions and to you know take step-by-step approaches and really think through design process of and the use case and things like that um so yeah i think that these are you've you've hit the sort of the nail on the head on how we can think about this in terms of different many different aspects
1: yeah and i think i think these kind of things you know whilst it's it probably wasn't great to be at walkers when all this was going on and be on the back foot trying to think what can we do yeah the fact that it was so public in the UK probably got an awful lot of other companies thinking about how sustainable their packaging was and what happened if they were the next company to feature in one of these campaigns. So to kind of, um, you know, start people thinking and and raise consciousness right across business and consumers, I think is a really powerful thing. And I'm seeing this um, more and more with all sorts of things, you know, palm oil um, and other deforestation, ocean plastics, you know, all sorts of areas, people are starting to get engaged. And social media is a brilliant way of spreading the word um, and getting getting our views out there into the open
0: exactly you uh, th- this doesn't really have anything to do with circular economy but it makes me think about the power of social media as well and in, in terms of the the fire festival i don't know if you heard about that it happened no. like last year and that was basically they just created this this music festival on an island uh, in the Caribbean, and they created it purely just from social media, having all these influencers make uh, make a lot of noise about it. And then when it came time they, to actually have the festival, they had thousands of people who had bought tickets, and they didn't they didn't have what they had promised because it had been so much focused on just the social media of it. So that's not a good example. You need to have both, you know the the awareness and then also you know substance behind it but this was you yeah, know yeah. just the power of something that can just go viral and and in the end it was actually social media that had just that destroyed them because they had people on this island showing just the whole uh, ho- the horrible situation of like tents falling apart and things like that and the fact that there wasn't actually a, a music festival so they built this whole idea up by social media and in the end it was social media that then <laughs> sort of just built the entire, made the entire idea just crumble, Um, and and they lost a lot of face and money on 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 that. So, yeah, I think it starts with awareness and getting people engaged, and you can do a you can achieve it a lot if there is this you know strong demand from from social media.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. It has to be, you know, people have to mean what they say. So if you were gonna um you know campaign on social media and suggest people you know tweet this company to say that you're not going to buy the product anymore people who are people who are tweeting that have to mean it don't they otherwise the company sort of sees that there's half a million people have tweeted that but sales have have not declined one iota so you know whatever you say you've got you've got to follow through on it haven't you
0: exactly yeah yeah That's, that's it. And uh, you guys should have a good reason for doing it in the first place. (laughs) So Catherine, we've heard about your book, Uh, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains. And you've told us about these workshops that you've been hosting uh, with companies in the UK. And I'm curious, um, will you be continuing to do these workshops in the coming months this year? uh, Or will you be taking some new projects on?
1: Yes. So we're going to continue with the workshops and also try and build some online easy access tools for small and medium businesses and entrepreneurs. I've been to a few events where um, you know people are saying how excited they are about the circular economy, but they know that their teams and their um, you know, their kind of peers in business, they're, they're people they know, just don't have the time to take out of the business. Even for a half-day workshop, is a big stretch for a company. And a half-day workshop is only really enough to kind of, um, you know, give you a, a sense of the circular economy possibilities. Mm-hmm. So, I'm creating a set of modules, if you like, that would be would have free. And easy to understand tools to help you, first of all, understand the circular economy, economy. secondly, to generate some ideas for your business. Third, to help you make the business case to take back to colleagues, because you may have some people who are sceptical and think it's, you know, everything's going to cost money and sustainability is a hair shirt and all the rest of it. So help you make the business case. Um, And then the last module would be how you get started, you know, help you with project planning. So that will all be on on a website with free to use kind of templates to guide you through things. And then some for those who need a bit more information, uh, we'll have a subscription option with some um, kind of low cost additional support materials. Uh, and we'll, we're hoping to run some um online workshops so we might do kind of uh, email courses a, a lot of companies do those sort of 10 days of email with top tips to help you um, get get planning and get thinking about it in a structured way and then build that into a sort of online um short course that you can do in your own time each day um you know maybe over 10 days Um, And here's here's the challenge with some online discussion with your peers and so on that you can participate in or not. So trying to create a variety of ways for people at different levels of um, starting knowledge, um, but all of them with actionable outcomes that people can take straight back into their business and um, get thinking about how to transition to circular economy and, um, you know, work all the benefits into into their businesses. And the other thing I'm trying to do is a, is a podcast um, just like you've started. So um, I've, I enjoy listening to a variety of podcasts and I think it's a, it's a really good way to listen to a, you know, a wide range of um, different ideas and uh, people at different levels of a journey and so on with different motivations. Um, And um, you know, probably every other podcast I listen to, I'm, um, as soon as I get out of the car having listened, I'm scribbling notes of, you know, must read this or must look at this website. So, um, I think it's, you know, it's a great way of kind of increasing, um, all those, um, um, idea sparking, um, inputs that that you can soak up (laughs) every week.
0: Yeah. And I will, we'll have the link, uh, to this, to your podcast, uh, on the show notes website for this episode, so everyone who's listening can, of course, go ahead and check out, uh, check it out. And I'm definitely looking forward to it when it's when uh, when you re- when you release the first episode. So, and I, I I also think it's really nice what you're doing in terms of the the tools that you are going to be having on your your website and the different resources because you have gained and you have a lot of extensive knowledge in this area. So I think it's great that you can share it with people and they can have sort of this plug and play solution to take back and be able to implement and spread within their own institutions and, 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 and um, organizations. So c- good, good luck with continuing to uh, develop those and get that online in the coming year.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Katie. I just, I just need another, um, you know, seven days in every week <laughs> and I'll
0: be happy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I have that same feeling. So, <laughs> so I, it's a, it's a, about that time of the, the end of the episode where we wrap up and, and my listeners by now uh, probably are aware of the, the format. So at the end of the episode, I ask the guest uh, what in the loop event car that they would like to create and for those who haven't played in the loop yet essentially the event cards are part of the of the game where uh, they influence what's happening on the market in terms of material demands and they also influence players uh accessibility to materials and also their ability to just make products and produce products in general so catherine uh what kind of topics sort of would you like to have your event card address
1: consumer and citizen activism i think and as we're as we're talking this week um by the time the podcast goes out um you know hopefully it's spread even in even further and wider Mm -hmm. Um, but we were we were uh, talking before the um we started recording about the student um and um school children activism um that's spreading across uh, a number of countries in europe with children playing truant for a few hours to go and demonstrate about the need to take action on climate change. And in the UK that's happening um, this Friday, the um, 12th of February, I think it is. So I know that not the uh, 12th, the 15th it'll be. Um, so I'm hoping that that really goes mainstream and really starts to get consumers and businesses engaged with needing to do things differently. I think the whole thing around climate change and all the other issues that are, um, you know, that the circular economy helps resolve, a lot of people are so overwhelmed by the size of the um, the challenge that we face, um, that it just becomes one of those things that, we, you know, we can't see individually how we can solve the problem. And so it's easier to just focus on something that's closer to home. But I think the, the activism and the interest in plastics and people realizing that even if they do small things to reduce their own plastic consumption and make sure they recycle properly, that actually makes people feel much better about their impact on the world. It's something very tangible that you can kind of see that you've made, even though it's a small difference, you can feel that it's within your control. So this whole, um, you know, badgering politicians and and businesses, um, you know, the World Economic Forum, had the um and I've forgotten her name uh, Greta um, yeah, yeah
0: Greta um uh her last name as well uh, it's yeah. yeah
1: that's bad news anyway well well done Greta and she spoke at the World Economic Forum and you know really took them to task and that's what it needs is is um you know all of us to be being vocal about this and then you know and demanding demanding a circular economy as well as business trying to create it if all of us are demanding the right to repair and the right to have things that are recyclable and made from sustainable materials in a fair way um and starting to make our buying decisions based on those criteria then i think the tipping point you know will be will be very soon um and so i'm I'm really hoping um the friday demonstration turns into something um you know that that really goes mainstream and even though i'm well past school age i'm planning to go to the one in leeds
0: yeah i also hope that it will really gain some traction and i couldn't think of a better way to sort of end our conversation especially since we talked about not only the role that businesses have in going circular but also the role that you know consumer like consumer engagement and the power of the crowd uh, has. So thank you so much Catherine for joining me today.
1: Thank you for inviting me Katie. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: You're welcome. And I just wanted to ask where can listeners go to find out more about you and your book?
1: If you tweet me it's at C-J Wheatman, W E E T M A N and the website is www. Rethink, which has a hyphen in it. So it's re-think.me.uk.
0: That's all for today's show. But remember our Earth Day giveaway? To have a chance at winning a copy of Catherine's book, all you need to do is leave a review for this podcast on iTunes. You have until May 1st to do this because on May 1st, I'll be selecting one review at random and they'll be the lucky winner. To learn how to leave a review on iTunes, even without an account, head over to the show notes of this episode at gettinginthelooppodcast.com. If you've already left a review, don't worry, you'll automatically be considered. Okay, so how easy is that? I'm super grateful to Catherine for giving me a copy of the book to give away, and I can't wait to see your reviews and be able to share this book with you. See you next week, and until then, have a great rest of your week.